0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today's episode is titled, Defining Differences, and we're talking to Sandy Glahn, who's a writer, mother, and PhD candidate. Coming up, a mom tells her
1: story of gamification after she listened to our episode, Gamification Endorphin Dude.
0: From our cyber mailbag, we'll share your responses to the question how important your avatar names are to you. <laughs> what <do> you say? <laughs> Episode 8, we introduced the subject of gamification, and Tony, or endorphin dude, talked about how he uses the concept in gaming to run marathons, like he, you know, powers up when he gets water, et cetera, et cetera. So a listener on our website responded with a great story of her own.
1: Yeah, this is a really charming story that uh, Amy J. sent in. She wrote, the day after I listened to this episode, we were out for a walk. And my daughter started assigning points to various ground features I could run over with a stroller. I believe it was along the lines of 100 points for manhole covers, minus a point for no bike signs, and something else that gave me more (laughs) hearts. Since my daughter is four and she was doing the math... I think we ended up with about a million points. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Regina, the question here is, is is Amy's daughter gamified too soon?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in my ever-so-humble opinion, I don't think you can start gamifying too soon. (laughs) No,
1: I mean... Especially when she's, you know, obviously she's interacting with her environment and she's
0: interacting with her mom. Right. Well, yeah. And they found a language. Exactly. They found a language and it, it made a common ground for them. And it meant that, you know, her daughter was paying attention to her surroundings and, and being attentive to, you know, not just sitting in the stroller and sort of, you know, being passive. She was actively engaging her environment by sort of creating this game out of going on a walk together in the stroller the interaction i mean the,
1: the language could be anything i mean mm-hmm. if the if the family w- was into cooking or was right. into traveling or into gardening i mean the same thing you you go out for a walk and you notice the plants or you notice uh you know, neighbor's cars or someone grilling out. I mean, it's just, a, it's a language and right. it's as good a language as any other.
0: Right. Well, I remember having, you know, there's a the license plate game you play when you're on, you know, road trips when you're a kid, you know, how yeah. many license plates from different, you know, states can you see or can you find license plates with with different numbers or different number combinations in them. And I remember a driving game that I played that was like, you know, you get extra points. It's 100 points if you see a kitty in a window when you're, you're driving through the streets or, you know, things like that where you know. You make, your, you make your own play. And, yeah. And I think that that's, that very much feeds creativity. It very much feeds paying attention to your surroundings and engaging in your, in your life and your world. So I think, it's, I think it's very good. And I thank Amy very much for sharing her story with us because it's just delightful. Yeah, we
1: really appreciate your feedback. So you can always leave comments on our website at gameongirl.com or through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl
0: or email regina at game on com. coming up we talk to seminary professor and author sandy Glon you're listening to game on girl i'm regina and i'm here with my co-host rhonda Later on in the show, we'll reach into our cyber mailbag and share your thoughts on naming your avatars. But now, let's talk to our guest. Today, we're excited to talk with Sandra Glahn. She wears many hats, mother, novelist, magazine editor, editor, adjunct seminary professor, advocate for women, women in antiquity fan, reader, PhD candidate, and a constant thinker. Sandy, welcome to the program. Great. So great to join you. Thank you. So give us a little bit about your background, a little bit about who you are, where you're studying, where you're at in your process, you know, at least that I'm very familiar with uh, dissertation and Ph.D. (laughs) process.
2: There is a fellowship of people who've been through the suffering who understand Mm -hmm. perfectly. Um, I'm a fifth-generation Oregonian, so I'm from the Pacific Northwest and then spent 10 years in the Washington, D.C. area, so sort of a coast-to-coast girl. And then the last few decades, I've been in Dallas, Texas. Um, I don't really recommend the climate here, but (laughs) it's a great place to think. Um, And here uh, in Dallas, I'm teaching grad students uh, creative writing, writing for publication, but I also teach a class in uh, women's history. I'm a medical suspense novelist, and I love talking theology, and I'm a PhD candidate in aesthetic studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. Some people, because I am writing medical suspense thought that was anesthesiology Uh, (laughs) aesthetic studies is sort of part art which in my case is fiction part history and part gender studies Mm. and my particular interest is in first century history women in particular and how our view of first century women uh, and our thinking about them continues to affect us today I'm a candidate, as I said, for the PhD, which I hope means I will eventually actually have that degree in my hand. We're aiming for a December cap and gown.
0: Very nice. Very nice. You know, yeah, I have... Good luck. Yeah, good luck. And, Thank and you. And know that Game on Girl is supporting you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Because <laughs> sometimes you need a few cheerleaders to get you, you through do. those last yeah. few months. That big push is usually... Uh, let, let's let hope for your sake that you don't experience what I did, which was my computer dying the week before my defense.
2: Date. No, no. No. No, 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 uh, yeah. no.
0: That was that was good times.
2: <laughs> there is nothing quite like technology, is there? No, there really
0: isn't. There really isn't. No. <laughs> and what, and how... We love it and hate it. Yes, exactly. Well, we're we're very glad to have you tonight today on uh, on Game On, Girl. You have a lot a lot of experience, and um, I can only imagine what it's like uh, being a Pacific Northwest person living in Dallas Um, (laughs) I know that I do get beauty withdrawal sometimes uh, yeah I would think you would get green withdrawals too it's still raining Uh, you know I'm just outside Portland it's still raining here so oh so you're in Portland yes Mm. Yes. okay yes I'm I'm very much in love with this area (laughs) yeah if you're in Dallas you kind of gotta like gray
2: either that or you have to have some good frequent flyer miles (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's good plans for escape, right? <laughs> Airlines
2: has their hub here, so it is fairly inexpensive to get out of here, which is one real saving grace. That
0: helps. That helps, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, as we were sort of talking and, and setting up and preparing for this interview, you brought up a great point that, that I had, of course, in my own feminist studies and, and education. It, it's so natural to me. It had never occurred to me that our listeners might not know um, this this distinction. So, so let's start right now with sort of all of us thinking about what the difference, and I'm talking about it, defining the difference between sex and gender.
2: I, I do think it's helpful to clarify what we mean by gender as a distinction from sex, which is you know, biological or physiological. When we think about gender, we're thinking more about a social construct. Uh, you know, probably till 1955 or the mid-50s, we thought of gender just strictly as a grammatical field. But then a sexologist suggested we need to d- distinguish between biological sex and gender as a way of talking about masculinity and femininity. Mm. And in my own travels, I mean, I'm sure we've all run into what is masculine in one place may not be in another place. When we go to Kenya, a woman sitting on a roof, building a roof is considered very feminine behavior. But I would venture to say most Americans when they see a female roofer are not going feminine as not going to be the first word they think of. Um, so that's what we mean by a social construct. Uh, it's, it's sort of what you're grown up with, what you consider feminine and what you consider masculine, and which is a little more fluid than actual body parts.
1: Rather no, than, then I wasn't that far off.
0: No, it 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 really is a simple, I mean simple, quote unquote, in quotes and air quotes, which I'm doing, which nobody can see. Um <laughs> but it, it is a it is a, a, a simple concept, but but people tend to conflate the two together and think that because your one gender is one thing. Um, that's related directly to sex, and that's not, that's not the case. There are many different types of gender. There's many different things that we do when we construct and identify gender that don't necessarily have to do with the biology. Right. Don't you think a lot of times people use the
2: word gender when they should use sex just because it feels awkward to say yes. the word sex? <laughs> yes. like instead of saying the difference between the sexes, You know, we we'd say difference between the genders Genders, and we really mean between men and women. And
0: and I think that's one of the complications that's come out of the feminist movement. I think people have become more aware of their language and and people automatically think that gender is going to be less offensive somehow. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, you're right. Yeah. And then it's motive. (laughs) What was that?
2: Probably comes from a good motive
0: it does and and often and often these these conflations or, or you know complications do come from 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 people wanting to um understand and and express correctly they they just yeah. get kind of mixed up in it <laughs> yeah
1: and I'm we are dealing a lot with terminology on this show mm-hmm. when we're talking about uh, we're going to discuss casual versus hardcore right. and it's important to me that it's, it's communication. I think communication in many ways is the number one key to getting all of us to kind of come together and understand each other better and all of these misunderstandings or stereotypes or whatever. And so it may sound simple, but like, like you're already pointing out, it, it's already kind of a common habit that people really don't know what, what they're using the word for. Right, mm-hmm.
0: right. And Mm -hmm. they they don't understand. Often I I have this I have this with my mom where um, my mom wants gender to be to be sex. She she doesn't want there to be you know complications. She doesn't want it to be something that's challenging or different or you know hard to accept et cetera et cetera. She really wants it to just be one or the other. And she'll say you know well my boys were always boys and my girl was a girl. So you know that's what they they just behave differently. And, and it's fine, but, but you know, kids are also treated differently. Boy, boys are much more likely to be roughhoused with than girls are, and girls are much more likely to be protected by older siblings, especially older male siblings, so things like that. We, we don't always recognize that we are creating those those structures.
1: Yeah, and actually, that, I mean, that kind of leads into your next question, Regina, that we wanted to discuss about where our ideas and concepts of gender roles and stereotypes evolve from. Exactly. And I assume what you meant by that, Regina, is it's like how far back can we go to understand this? Yes,
0: exactly. What, and that's where Sandy's going to be fantastic for us because she's got, she's got way more history on this than I do. <laughs> no,
2: no pressure here. Let me try
1: to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it you said in the beginning? Was it a uh, first century yep. feminist, is Sandy, that you were talking about? That was your study?
2: Well, just first century women and how we think about them. I mean, you have the writings of Paul coming out of the first century. Uh, you have influences in the the whole Roman Empire, which is has so much influence on the West. You've got you know, all those great thinkers that we're still sort of learning today had views of women and men and gender, uh, you know, maybe thought women talked too much. And now we know, well, you look through Freud and say, was there projection going on there? You know, there... <laughs> It, there's so much yeah. uh, that they thought that we still have to sort of work through, and so my focus has not necessarily been on feminists in the first century. I would be proto-feminism in the first century, Rhonda, um, but but even looking beyond that to what did everybody, what was everybody saying about women, not just what how did the women view themselves, um, but I think I would I would fast forward way farther back than that even and and go, if you look at our earliest stories about, well, it's certainly the stories that influence the three major religions of the world, Islam, Judaism, uh, and Christianity. I wouldn't say those are the only three. I'm just saying the three that are most influenced by Genesis. Yeah. And, and even, like, by Chapter 3, you have a man and a woman in a garden, and then you have the fall. And whether you want to treat that as scripture, whether you want to treat it as myth, our earliest stories say something happened at a gender level at a foundational time at the very beginning, and from the beginning, there has been this brokenness that we have had to try to overcome. And so, I, I really do think it goes back to the beginning of time, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and our, our storytellers have certainly seen it as, as an ancient thing, and, and I think it it is based on our biology. If you have a woman in a world who's giving birth to at least six children in an agrarian society without a grocery store, without 7-Eleven, without fast food, uh, there's going to have to be a pretty early division of labor. Somebody is going to have to be focused on the sleeping baby, and somebody needs to be outing the deer. And so fairly early in a world where we didn't have those conveniences and we didn't have contraception then you had a division of labor that began to happen based on what was the most practical way of interacting.
0: Right, and, and, and practical at base survival. Right. Because, because right. at that point, you know, uh, child mortality rates would have been significantly higher than they are now, and a lot more would have been put at stake for those kids to survive, for everybody to, to you know, for the community to prosper.
2: Right and your children were your bank account and and it's certainly certainly still true in many cultures today again when we go to Africa Things that I refer to as the ancient world, I have to edify what I'm saying and, <laughs> and talk about, you know, different parts of the world today. Right, right. So you go to a more agrarian society and, and I am conscious there of more of a division of labor again right. because, you, yeah, you have women grinding grain and caring for the small children. But what's interesting is the kids are also spending more time with that in that culture right. than I did growing up. You know, post-industrial revolution, dad's going off to the factory while the the smaller children are staying with mom. Whereas in the agrarian society, by the time a kid's a toddler, male or female, uh, you know, there's time divided between being in the house or hut with mom and being out doing other sorts of manual work or hunting with dad. Right. Now, are you talking about present-day Africa? I am. Okay. Parts, I'm not talking about Nairobi, obviously, but you know some of the more remote places where we go. Um, they can study, for example, the Book of Ruth, which when we study, it's ancient stories, and they're exchanging shoes instead of paper for a contract. And for them, it's, it's where they live. If you don't have paper in a society, you're exchanging something you possess that shows a business contract.
1: So if we compare... It- even though we might not be able to compare Africa, but if we compare, say, present-day stereotypes of gender, then how has that evolved from, say, I don't know whether we can really go all the way back to the first century where you're you're focused, but maybe describe the first-century stereotype. It looks like a view that women were less intelligent than
2: men. But again, if you have women who've never been educated, right. then I mean, just think of the people that you meet who've never been educated, and you can feel like you're at a base level more intelligent than they are, when the reality is you're more educated right. than they are.
0: Or, or more so, experienced, or have a different set yes, of experiences. That's that right. That's yeah. right. It's not generally sis- intelligence, yeah. Sorry. Now
2: my sister teaches in a, in a lower-income school district where most of the children have never been out of Dallas and she said if you take the kids with the exact you know same level of IQ in another school but they've been to Paris and Rome mm-hmm. that we think they're smarter right but it's really that they have fewer experiences to hang it on um and so in the first century uh in Rome in the Roman empire there was this view that women were needed particularly to be protected that the men needed to make the decisions they couldn't even own uh, property only in in rare cases. The inheritance, you know, stayed within a, a male's family. If the father died, the children still went to the in laws. They didn't stay with mom. Um, it's been interesting to see gender sort of go back and forth. We swung the pendulum the other way in America to where it was difficult for fathers to get custody of children, even if they maybe were better fathers and the mothers were mothers. Right, and that's changing. But but we this is these are just examples of how gender and our views of it can sort of be squishy and and evolve and change and and not always be on a sort of a clear path of evolution in a positive sense it can sort of go back and
1: forth
0: right I mean, and even even to the to the minutia where you know we- we tend to think of pink as being girl and blue being oh, a boy yeah. you know less than 100 it's. years ago it was the other way around so <laughs> oh. and in rome yellow was the feminine
2: color mm-hmm. uh, whereas in kenya we had we brought a friend from kenya over here and we had dinner with him and he said okay you must tell me i'm wearing a pastel pink watch what does that mean here he yeah. said <laughs> why he said well people acted funny toward me like you know, there was something wrong There's with my light pink watch. Oh, God. He said, <laughs> I know. <laughs> he said, in my culture, pink is just a nice color. Right, right. Yeah, I said, well, yeah, here there are some associations with color.
0: Yeah, I've I've had conversations with um, friends who are parents and a young Mm -hmm. son, you know, love the color pink. And he was like six and she's like, oh, my God, is he going to be gay? And I was like,
2: like,
0: "Uh, calm down. It's just a (laughs) color. (laughs) (laughs) You're giving it that significance and and changing what it means For, for him. It's just a color and as it should be just a color.
2: Which is a great example of gender. Exactly. This is not about sex. There's nothing yes. biological about yellow being right. neutral and pink being girl and exactly. blue being boy. That is a completely a cultural construct.
0: Yes. And she was projecting it onto his, you know, preference yes. and, wa- uh-huh. and wanting to, you know, to, to shy him away from it. And I was like, why? It's mm-hmm. just a color, you know, it's, it's uh-huh. that only holds the significance you assign it. And if you yeah. make it weird, it's going to be weird for him. And you, you yes. don't want to do that either.
1: So if we are looking at these stereotypes, which even if we go back to the first century where you were talking, Sandy, basically our stereotypes just squish back and forth. But if we take it that we cannot actually go all the way back and figure out, you know, where did this all begin and how should it be, except that we keep distorting the definition um, culturally and socially and politically, so present day, how do these stereotypes that every culture or every society um, keeps evolving? How how are those impacting how men and women are treated?
2: I think I think that's a really important question, Rhonda. And I think our goal is not necessarily to try to eliminate. Any reference to gender or any distinction based on gender, our goal would be to eliminate injustices right. that are connected with I, them. I, I Just like with Gina's great example, it would be an, an injustice to a six year old to tell him he's wrong to love pink. Right. Okay? Um, but that doesn't mean if I go to a shower, I shouldn't feel like I can buy a pink dress for a little girl. Um, I shouldn't feel like I have to, but it also should mean I, I shouldn't feel like I can't.
0: Right. Or or that you have to buy dolls for a little girl and you have to buy building blocks for a boy, you know, right. you know, th- those, those boxes that we want to put people in, you know, that, that everybody experiences throughout their life, you know, we, we can break out of them. And I love using that word injustice in terms of, of this, you know, in terms of, trying to define and confine people to the boxes, the gendered boxes yeah. they're supposed to belong yeah. in.
1: Yeah. So in what way, uh, we mentioned, I mean, we mentioned a very specific example with uh, pink associated with boys, <clears throat> but in what ways are men treated differently as far as pigeonholing their, them into a stereotype? I had a student
2: in a creative writing class a couple semesters ago. He was telling us that When he showed up to a small group, and he was the only male in the group, that even though he was a visitor that night, and normally the visitor would not be expected to talk, could just be allowed to observe, because he was a male and they were all females, they deferred to him and wanted him to sort of take over and lead it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I know. And he said... They there was the assumption that I'm a natural leader because I'm male, right? And because I had sat down with a group of women who did not perceive themselves as natural leaders, right. uh, It was just it fell on me to take charge, and it was a very uncomfortable situation. Uh, and I I was frankly a little surprised that you know I'm naive enough to think really that still happens.
0: <laughs> Um, Really, there are women who don't want to take charge? (laughs) Yeah, right. I I would fall into that same category, Sandy. (laughs) (laughs) But we have a lot in common, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I'm the one sitting in the front row saying, um, no. (laughs) Um, Sit back down. (laughs) Yeah, I probably wouldn't be there anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the whole pressure on men to feel like they have to be the providers. Right. Um, another example I see of that is I have a good friend who just went back to work full time. They have four small children. She's been just a great mom and made mothering a priority for those little kids. But she began to see that her husband was just withering in his job. But he was not going to go back to school and get a job that he loved because he felt like his primary job was to support them and she knew that unless she went back to work and freed them up financially he was not going to feel like he could ask them to make the sacrifice for him to go back to school
0: right cuz he he couldn't he couldn't compromise in in his own mind his definition yes. of his masculinity that's right was based on 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 that being able to provide and i, I think also al- along with that i think for a lot of men the you know the being able to provide the the money that they make, the, the kinds of careers that they have, I think are big. I also think there's a bias in men toward needing to be tough. And, mm-hmm. and if a man is sensitive and emotionally sensitive and emotionally aware, you know, we call him effeminate. And, you know, yes, lots, lots of other awful words for, for men who aren't that That stereotype that that we think that they need to be, and and that's just as much of an injustice as somebody thinking they can't be a natural leader because they're a woman. So, So. who
1: was that actor Regina that you saw at the con? Who, um, he's a very good-looking, muscular guy, (laughs) and you found out he read Russian poetry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's uh, Jason Momoa who played um, Cal Drogo on uh, Game of Thrones. And, and he is gorgeous, and he is buff, and he is, he's got long eyelashes. I mean, he's beautiful. And I always thought he was, you know, good-looking. But I never had, like, a thing for him until I found out, like, he said, <laughs> you know, he has um, Baudelaire tattooed on his arm, a phrase of Baudelaire, um, which is something along the lines of be drunk on life. Um, wow. uh, or live life drunkenly is what, it is what it says, literally, but the translation is, you know. You know, embrace and love your life essentially, and um, and he he said that, and he said his two favorite musicians were Annie DeFranco and Tom Waits, and and I was like, oh, wh- who are you? <laughs> because he's he's traditionally played. These these super masculine tough guys. He was on Stargate Atlantis, and he was the rough and tumble guy who would shoot first and ask questions later, kind of you know character. Mm-hmm. And he had more sensitivity as Drogo in um, Game of Thrones, where he you know he had more of a, a rounded, fleshed out character, and you could kind of see that sensitivity come out. But it, but it made me wonder about the actors that I sort of appreciate. I appreciate him so much more as an actor now that I know that these are sort of the, the foundations for him that he can still be masculine and he can I mean there were 3,000 people in that room and he's like oh yeah I love French poetry and Ani DeFranco.
1: Well I just want to remind our listeners that we're talking to Sandra Galan she's a B- Ph.D. candidate in aesthetic studies at the University of Dallas, and we're really glad to have her here. Um, Regina, did you want to? Uh, you said something earlier about wanting to share some stories, maybe personal stories about situations where we were treated differently because yeah. we were women.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to see if we each had examples, and you know, I can think of a couple that are gaming related. I can think of several that aren't, um, especially one, one story I wanted to share. I'll just share this really quickly. It's pretty short, but um, when I li- when I lived in New New York, and, and I found the gender roles. Um, having grown up in San, just outside San Francisco, I come with sort of very liberal <laughs> yeah. liberal yeah. beliefs, and I moved to New York, and I lived in New York for four years, and I found it, it was a much more traditional culture um, where the big wedding, women were angling for the big diamond ring to get married Mm -hmm. and, um, and the, and the big wedding and, you know, this big sort of deal thing over these things, which I had never really considered. All of my friends in New York, when they got married, changed their names. All of my friends in California didn't, you know, it was really sort of (laughs) interesting, (laughs) sort of, yeah, polar sort of opposites. And I, you know, I had been, um, I've been working at IBM Um, as an administrative assistant and and he's sort of, you know, moving through the the ranks and moving up to more and more, you know, responsibilities and I had decided to leave that job and start teaching. And my landlord said to me, He's like, Oh, teaching's a great job for a woman because, you know, you can be home in the afternoon with your kids. And I was like, really? Because this is why I've decided that I want to go teach is because I want to make sure I can be home with my kids. You know, not because I want to educate or not because, you know, I want to, you know, use at at that point, I just finished my master's degree, you know, I wanted to get into teaching college, I wasn't going to be teaching grade school. But this was his 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 definition of, of oh that's a great job for a woman because you can be home with your had kids. nothing to do with the actual vocation of teaching it had Absolutely everything to do with nothing. your sex yes with your nothing home life confused with gender right exactly and and your home life and and the box of what you were supposed to be providing to your oh, no. significant other I wasn't married at that time you know to that was what I was supposed to be doing was you know. <laughs> Yeah, setting ow. up my home life in terms of oh it's a great career to support your home life mm. <laughs> so mm. that's just an example mm. that I that I thought what about of you as really <laughs> <nice>.
1: yeah <laughs> well the, most of mine I mean they don't tend to be overt usually it's something that either I find out about later or it it, it just presented itself in an odd way and when I got to thinking about it later it just kind of bugged me, but um, I remember when I came back, I was programming for the first software company I'd ever been at. It was a government contractor, and we went to uh, D.C. to install, and we were there a year, and when I got back, I joined a brand new church, and I went to the male staff and said, well, how can I contribute? And they said, well, there's room in the nursery. Wow. And, wow. and I was dumbfounded <laughs> because I had never, I, never, and Sandy knows this, having children was not part of my makeup. I focused on something else. So working in the nursery, working with kids was foreign to me. And I, I was flabbergasted that that was the only suggestion he had for me. Mm-hmm. Other situations, I know for a fact that I've gotten two jobs because of my looks. Mm. One was in college and one was recently here. And the only reason I found out about that is after I'd been working there for about five years, I was supposed to help hire um, some replacements and some additional administrative staff. And I would go in and interview them. And the president told me, Well, if you see a good candidate, let me know. And he said, I'll walk by. And I didn't understand what he meant. And then he would meet me at my office and he'd say, no, she's too old.
0: Wow. (laughs) No,
1: she's too fat. Oh, God. And I was devastated. And he would cut up in the hallway and he would say, you know what would be perfect? Is a black woman who has a British accent or a gay man. Wow. and I was just <laughs> flabbergasted, but then I sat in my office and realized he did that walk by on me.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Ouch. Ouch. Yeah,
2: yeah I think just... that's an important point because it, the point is not that you've always uh, had disadvantages. I mean, the advantages are as unjust as the advantage. I mean, yeah. either way, it's 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 not just. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It goes back to to that same idea of. Gender stereotypes creating a sense and experience of injustice for everybody. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yep. Right. Either way, if it works in your favor or works against you. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. You
0: just want to think that your life is based on
2: you know a job is based on your achievement and your background, your studies. A career is based on your vocation and what you desire to do with your life. Right. Um, I, I have a friend who's a math teacher and. You know, the SAT scores showing the difference between boys and girls and how they score is a is very small percentage, maybe 1%. And if you factor out the male math prodigies, they, you know, they're really the same. And he said, I called a student's parents to say she wasn't doing well in math and needed a little more support at home. And the mom said, well, what do you expect? She's a girl. Oh, God. <laughs> so they had just decided they weren't going to give her any extra help because she had this deficiency, right. you know, based on her sex.
0: Right. Because, you know, she has... Uh, sexual reproduction, re- reproductive organs, and allow her to have a baby. So therefore, she right. can't do algebra.
2: Estrogen really. somehow right. prevents her from, you know, m c equals e equals m c
0: squared. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Things like that make me so furious because I had a I had a tendency towards science, you know, when I was mm-hmm. younger in like fifth and sixth grade, and we had a great um, progressive. Uh, science program that was coming out of Stanford in my, in my public education that I was getting. And I was really into the science program. And then, you know, and it was very open. And it, like I said, that was that's still pretty young. So, you know, 11 or 12. And yeah. I remember that changing for me when I got into junior high. That was at the, the last year at my primary school. And I went to junior high. And I remember the experience of being a student in those science classes shifting where I wasn't, I wasn't paid in, as much attention to and I wasn't given as, much, as many accolades and I wasn't engaged in the same way. And I was in, you know, they had home ec classes at that time. And, oh, you know, oh, you know, the girls will help you with the cooking. You know, the boys can sort of run on the coattails with the girls in the cooking classes or the sewing classes or whatnot. But I wanted to be the person that was helping everybody in the science classes. And I still studied, but I didn't get the same sort of, you know, support to continue it, even from my female teachers. So wow, it just ended up being kind of sad. Not that I regret that at this point, because I don't I think I'd make a lousy scientist, but,
2: <laughs> but again <laughs> still to think that it was that it had to be on the basis of that rather yes. than you end up just deciding later that this isn't really what you wanted exactly.
0: to do. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Would you agree that we I, I agree with this, that all three of us are extremely successful women in
0: traditionally masculine t- fields
1: right yes. <laughs> and and yes. that despite right. any any types of injustices we might be able to bring up or these 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 burps along the way we're lucky at least in the united states that we are we are free to overcome these injustices and to 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 put a foot forward and try to keep pushing the wall. I mean, I I guess what my question is, in the United States, do you feel like that's the opportunity we have?
2: I think it's certainly uh, a great opportunity that we have here. And I... I am so grateful for the women who were willing to be arrested, for example, so that I could have the right to be bored on jury duty.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, we yeah.
2: do stand on the shoulders of many women. But I, I should probably going back to the first century. I should should mention the Cleopatra. You know, I was thinking of her outside of the Roman Empire, but I guess you could include her in in the empire as well. Um, but but Egypt under Cleopatra was a different story from Egypt in Ephesus or in Rome. Hmm. Um, Women were very powerful. Obviously, if, you know if you're, Cleopatra is running the place, and right. she was a very competent leader. If you if you had a chance to pick up Stephanie Schiff's book on Cleopatra, her bestseller that's come out in the last couple of years, it's it's a brilliant piece of work that does, it no longer fo- feels the need to focus on Cleopatra's beautiful body, which she probably actually wasn't.
0: Yeah, she probably did look like Liz Taylor, you mean? (laughs) exactly.
2: (laughs) She's actually, if you look at the coins of her, her nose is quite long. Yes. Her her appeal was her power and her intellect. And her her
0: confidence. And her confidence. That is just by far the thing that can carry anything. If you're confident about what you're doing, then people are going to be like, oh, wow, look at how awesome and powerful and confident that person is. They don't necessarily think of it in those terms, but that is the draw right yep.
2: and and there's some evidence that the amazons actually existed they're finding graves you know around the the uh, black sea and the reason i say all this is cuz i don't want to leave the impression that in the year you know in the after 2000 in america women are sort of at the height of what they've ever been hmm. um it again this just like gender it it has fluctuated in different places
0: right. and at
2: different times yeah but certainly I agree I would rather live here than a whole lot of places in the world. And I also feel compelled to be an advocate for people who have less power, mm-hmm. who have who have less justice, who are in systems that don't allow them to have freedom. I, I think of reading Molita in Tehran as a great example of a big shift within some women's lifetime, going from, you know, being university pressors to professors to being sequestered and right. I, I feel like it's really important for those of us who do have a voice to speak on behalf of those who don't have a voice.
0: Right, and who have positions of of at least some power and agency where we can we can make the choices and we can we can live a life in a certain direction that a lot of women in the world yeah. would never have the yeah. opportunity for. Yes.
2: Apparently. And and try to blaze the way since we are in fields where there aren't that many women, mm-hmm. to try to be a door opener because sometimes What happens is the first woman into a field wants to be the only girl. She kind of likes Mm -hmm. that unique place. Yeah. It makes it more difficult for those coming behind her. You wouldn't. Think that would happen, but but it does, and so it's so important for us to give away power, right? And just trying to hold on to it to
0: share and and encourage and and, you know draw in. That's that would you know I I I mentioned that in the episode where Rhonda interviewed me. That part of the reason why I wanted to do a podcast or something that was publicly accessible, rather than an academic book that somebody would have to pay you know fifty or seventy five dollars in order to buy, and would probably only be open to you know university libraries. I wanted right. something where people's voices would be heard, and where that right. you know was an open space for 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 conversations, for conversations like this, where we sort of dig into these issues and things that we've been talking around and about how gaming sort of has changed that for women. I just led a, com- a, a Twitter conversation earlier this week where I was asking about sexualized avatars, and one of the themes that emerged out of it that we're going to do a show on later, um, and you know later this year sometime i'm not sure when but one of the comments that somebody made was it was really hard sometimes to be a girl gamer or a gamer girl with other women gamers because there was this sort of sense of competition that, that came out of that for, for, oh, there's only so many slots, like you said, you know, somebody who's first in a field wants to be the only girl in that field. Well, often, I guess, in guilds or, or people have experienced this where they go into a, a gaming situation and, you know, they're threatened because there's other women there. So we have Venus Envy, apparently. Yes, we have Venus Envy. <laughs>
1: Which, which is a great way. I mean, I re- I really hate to to move us past the the yeah. conversation we're having, but let's go ahead and segue what we're talking about into the gaming field yes. since Regina brought it up, and just kind of start a little bit with Sandy. What types of games do you play?
2: I started with Bejeweled. <laughs> Actually, I started way back with Pac Man. I can I can still hear the music playing. Um, <laughs> Uh, bejeweled until I gave myself carpal tunnel, and then I am pretty regular about Words with Friends. I, I find that is just a great way to take a mental break. I I go on Words with Friends in the middle of a class break, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends know when I'm up for the morning and when I'm in bed for the night. i <laughs> they get my last Words with Friends at the beginning and end of the day, if you wanted to stalk me, that you know that would be a way to know what I was doing. <laughs> um, so let's think. Uh, you know, other iPhone games. Uh, you got me started, Rhonda, on Whirlybird. Uh, we were together oh, yeah. in the DC area, and I noticed Rhonda was sort of playing, and she introduced me to that one. Uh, so usually, I like stuff with words these days.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I found, Scrabble. yeah when i when I was when I was writing, um, I found at the time I was playing Lexulus on uh, Facebook. And I found word games like that to be really helpful to help me focus in on when, when I'm writing. That I can go in and I look at the words and I look at the letters and I'm sort of, it uses a different part of my brain and then frees me up when I go back to write again. I can, it's a good break for me for that. So hmm. you can see how if you're in the editing phase, that might be part of what's Yeah,
1: happening. maybe that, maybe there's something to that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So Regina, the, you you brought up, the, and we've, we've talked about it several times here about um, is someone who plays on their iPhone or someone who plays Bejeweled or right. uh, Words with Friends, are those gamers? Right. And again, the terminology comes up again, casual versus hardcore. And right. you sent, uh, forwarded a very interesting article to us about that.
0: Yes, I did, written by Rowan Kaiser, who I actually I'm going to try to have on the show as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, and he talks about how um, hardcore essentially means male or masculine, and casual means female. And and that we look at these games, even though they might not be overtly gendered, because, you know, Jewel Blitz is just a bunch of jewels falling, but that the attraction to those types of games and those types of phone games, and he, he talks specifically in that article about The Sims, um, you know, even though people pay sixty dollars to play The Sims, it's still considered a casual game because there's no violence and it's not you know sort of the same kind of hardcore content you might have in other games. So I, I think that that sort of adds a, a level of complexity to it. I myself, as I said as I said before, you know, my definition of gamers anybody who takes pleasure from and finds time in their life and you know engages in games on a regular basis. I would say Sandy's a gamer because if you're waking up in the morning and you're playing words with friends and you're doing it before you go to bed at night that <laughs> that qualifies in my book <laughs> actually the first
2: time Rhonda asked me uh, if i was a gamer i said oh no yeah. And then you know it came out later in conversation. She said, "Wait, wait, you are." So obviously, Regina, you've had an influence on you know <laughs> the way people even perceive who is or isn't a gamer. I, I almost felt like uh, an imposter a minute ago answering the question. I, you know, I wanted to say, I'm not really a you know serious gamer, but having right. read the article, yeah, I'm, okay, I, I won't write myself up too quickly. Yeah, I do feel like I'm a lame gamer, gamer though, compared to you know, like you know serious gamer.
0: Yeah, well, I I hopped into game on uh, Diablo three last. Last night with uh, somebody I know on on Twitter, um, who just bought the game uh, Missing Chapter, who's who we've mentioned a couple times in the show, she actually changed her her Twitter profile um, to add the word casual gamer into her profile after listening to the first episode of our show. She's going to be in our next episode. I think it's our next episode uh, Mm -hmm. where we talk about where we're going to talk to a a female gamer who identifies as hardcore and then Toria who identifies as casual and sort of compare their experiences. Um, But I hopped into game with her last night. She's like, oh, I've only died a couple of times. And then the first thing, she was already like level five and I was hopping in at level one. And so the first thing (laughs) I did was die. (laughs) 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 like, well, I did just jump in five levels above where I. I am so there, I can forgive myself a little bit for this, but <laughs>
1: no <happens>. transitions.
0: No. <laughs>
1: Bye. Well, is the the terminology then the way that Kaiser talks about casual versus hardcore, and at the actual if we talk about specific games like Bejeweled and the Sims versus mm. Battlefield Three? Right. Are those games? actually appealing to the natural tendencies of each gender and then is the label like we talked about way way at the beginning when you said should I call it game on girl or should it be gamer women or what should it be and I'm like you know girl is sometimes seen as a derogatory term and it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. it's my gender it's it's just who I am and it shouldn't be considered derogatory and it sounds like casual Everywhere we run into it is is used derogatorily toward yes. the person. Yes. And so I would say that The Sims is very much about relationships, building relationships, building social units, which would tend to be a, a very female thing. Right. And Battlefield would tend to be a very male thing. But I think it's the labeling um, context or the uh, I can't think of the word now I'm trying to think of implications or whatever of that term that's the injustice
0: right well I you know I would want I I don't like binaries and at at all generally because life is so much more complex than any you know two-sided you know line could could generate for you um, and so I, I, that's why I bristle when I think about hardcore versus casual and why it was a, a term that I actively avoided when I was working on the dissertation and the work that I did. Not necessarily because casual was associated with games that were more, um, you know, gendered female, but, but because those, those distinctions I didn't think were particularly valuable. Yeah, so. Exactly. So is that that's just kind of where there's, I yeah. Yeah, on. there's
1: there's there's nothing being contributed to exactly. the discussion.
0: Yeah. Except except a sense of, of exclusion. Yeah. And okay. that that doesn't ever work for me.
2: <laughs> is there a hierarchy in the gaming world,
0: would you say? Yes in yes. terms of the
2: types of games and Absolutely. is it a valid hierarchy?
0: It, it's valid depending on who you're talking to. Um. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, valid as far as as far as yes, there's a difference. Yeah. Valid as far as you're more of a gamer than another person. No, right. right. Okay. Uh, there are definitely hardcore games. As far as if I were to use the term hardcore, as extremely difficult, extremely involved, and I'm, I'm talking about even to the extent of tabletop games like Mm D&D or a game that uh, my friends like to play is Earth Reborn. It is just too intense. It's too involved. It's too long. It's extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. I consider that a hardcore game, but I also consider myself uh, a gamer. I am a full-fledged gamer, but because I don't like that level of gaming doesn't mean that I'm a casual gamer.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and I I look at the same things with EVE Online, which is a a, a spaceship, uh, massively multiplayer online game. And I look at that game and I don't see any attraction to it whatsoever. <laughs> but the the people who play it see themselves as sort of the higher echelon of, of gamers because it has a very high learning curve. It is not something that you jump in and can play. You know, World of Warcraft, one of the reasons why it has so many people that play it is because you can jump in and you can play World of Warcraft, you know, without, without much experience on role-playing games or anything else, you can still get a feel for what, you know what and how to play World of Warcraft, and so it's that—that that sort of distinction of um, you know because it's difficult, it's it's more valuable. Yeah. Mm, You know, I don't, I don't necessarily, if you're taking pleasure from the game, I I love Bejeweled. I can play, God, for half an hour, you know, Bejeweled Blitz, which is a, you know, a minute each. (laughs) I can easily sit on my, on my, you know, iPod and play it for an hour, not even, you know, realize not quite an hour maybe, because I get tired of holding the iPod at that point. (laughs) The social nature. Quite well taken. yeah, Yeah. The social nature of it, now that it's like linked to Facebook, like, um, and I can see like who I'm competing against for the high score that week. <laughs> I can very much sometimes catch myself in that mastery sense of, you know, oh, I want to do really well to this week, so let me let me put a little extra time into um, into into playing. So.
1: Yeah, in the same. I mean, I play Bejeweled every day. Mm-hmm. It's it's it was one of the first apps I downloaded on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. I mean, hands down because it is a nice, quick game. It keeps my mind kind of working, yep. and I, I just I really enjoy it. But now, Words with Friends and Scrabble, I do not play because obviously I'm not a wordsmith. <laughs> I'm a, I'm an engineer and a technical writer, but I'm an entirely different type of writer than um, but you guys are. So, words with friends, and I I showed uh, Sandy a whirly word. Mm-hmm. That was a challenge for me, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't think so, because, I mean, the longest word in that game, I think, is six letters, seven letters. I think
2: it's six. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's it. That You have to come up with words from, from two or three to six letters, and that's it. Mm. But I find that very challenging. Right. But that doesn't make it a hardcore game, or <laughs> does it make Sandy hardcore? <laughs> I think, although, if you were to ask me, I would say, yes, yeah, Sandy is hardcore,
0: but. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> He didn't know that was going to come out of this this discussion. Today, all of you? this
2: is just one great exercise in the futility of labels. <laughs> yes. Exactly.
0: Well, and that's that's exactly you know exactly it. And one of the reasons why you know a lot of people want to you know, as I looked at the research and as as I as we talked about earlier with the, with the girl and calling the site "Game on Girl" and and t- that was the title of the dissertation as well. You know, thinking about that term and that phrase, you know, I want it to be empowering, and so I like the term "gamer." girl because because the image that we still have we talk about stereotypes and the images about how they linger the the image of a gamer is still masculine and I, I want us to still be able to own that that we're, we're still different and we, we still maybe approach a game differently and we might be different to play with we can still be hardcore or not or casual or you know whatever you want to be um, but gamers all together so.
1: Sandy, did you get a chance to look at those video trailers that I forwarded you? I did. Okay. I really would like to get your viewpoint on that because Regina and I both have done, since that uh, expo last week, we did a lot of research, especially Regina, on feedback from those videos and from those trailers. And what we found first interesting besides... We can't believe that's going on. But secondly, the reaction in the media and in journalism to those. Um, Regina, did you? how do you want to start this
0: conversation?
1: Or should I even let you? Because I know you're probably still hot about it.
0: Oh, no. All, all the better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was when I posted uh, uh, last week's, or the short, the last short that we did, episode five short on uh, the contrasting images at, at female images at E3. Well, I,
1: before I, we say anything, yeah. why don't we
0: just let Sandy I think that would be a great Tell what her what her impression is. Then she doesn't I'm get afraid, my bias.
2: I'm afraid to give you my impression.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: the first one I looked well, all, all I can say is the one that began with her hand on her own breast, yeah. uh, had my mouth on the floor. That, and That I mean, wasn't her I've hand, written,
0: that was his hand.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, yes. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> but anyway. That, yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> I've written a book on sex and one on song of songs. I'm pretty comfortable talking in public on the subject. This isn't this isn't about some sort of um, right. This isn't about some sort of sexual inhibition. This is a, again, it comes back to the justice issue. Mm-hmm. And I thought, can you imagine starting a video with a woman's hand on a man on a man's
0: genitalia? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And not calling that pornographic? <laughs> yeah. That was yep. my impression. Yeah, that was that was very similar to how I was feeling as soon as I saw that up there. And then when I saw that, the reaction was, "Ooh, boobs! Awesome!" You know, I was like, "Come on, guys, really?" really? <laughs> Really? If we wanna be taken if the if the gaming industry wants to be taken seriously as an industry, as a contributor to you know, whatever they want to be a serious contributors to art even, you know, you can't start a, a preview of a game out like that and think that you're gonna be taken seriously. And I and as I said in the podcast, but I didn't say in the write up that I did of it, and I worry that people only read the write up, I don't have a problem with sex and games necessarily. I just have a problem when the sex in the game is used as as, like, the sensational act to get you to watch right. the trailer. That was the problem that I had with how exactly. that was was structured.
2: I I agree. Completely separate issues as mm-hmm. to whether a game is going to have sex in it that right. we can discuss that separately. Right. But that's not what that was. That's not that what that was That was to about. try to grab our intention, attention. Mm-hmm. That was try to sell something. Yep. It was trying to appeal to our flesh to make us buy something. That's an altogether different thing from... Right. Using the sex in the game right. as part of the game.
0: Yeah, plot driven. I mean we we talk about plot driven violence in, in movies and, and it's the same it should be the same thing for sex. If if it's part of the plot, that's fine. You know, and even if it is, you know, part of the plot in that game, that's one thing, but where it is the first, you know, five seconds of the video the game trailer you see is him copying a feel. That's yeah. that's not that's not driven for the plot. That's that's driven you know, simply because they think it's only 15-year-old boys who are interested in.
1: <laughs> well, Sandy, did you see the other trailer for the other game? For I did. And the, the, I'm, I'm most interested in your feedback there because you're, you're the one that actually mentioned the word pornography. Uh, the feedback on that video, people had problems with the attempted rape scene. And what was your general feel of that particular trailer and how that act was handled?
2: To be honest, I must have
1: missed it. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was my point yeah. with Regina. It's, yeah. it, it is so subtle. It is shocking because, uh, especially people who know the mythos of Laura Croft, mm-hmm. this is really going way, way back in her history before everything that everybody knows about Laura Croft. Yeah. But the reaction in journalism. I believe Regina said that she saw people were calling it pornography. Yeah, they were calling it. Get, they were uh, calling it fetish get,
0: pornography, fetish pornography. So, oh, uh, okay, but but porn all the same. <laughs> huh. yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's it. That's very interesting to me. That especially your observation that you just you didn't really see anything. Well, and
0: yeah, that that was the thing is when, when I heard. I, I heard through, you know, a couple of other people talking on Twitter, you know, oh, my God, everybody's all up in arms about the rape scene in L- Lara Croft. And I'm expecting to see her tied down. I'm expecting to see, yeah. you know, I'm expecting to see violence and rape. And, and it wasn't. It was just, you know, this is where this is headed, and it's no longer headed there. Huh. Is Andy. the
1: Sandy, is the viewpoint or the, the social understanding... Of rape changing in uh, the states
2: I don't know if I don't know if it's changing, but i I think at least those who've worked for rape with rape victims for at least the past two decades, maybe longer, have pretty readily acknowledged that rape has never been primarily about sex. it has mm-hmm. been about power about
0: power yeah, absolutely um, well, I
2: think- and I, I don't know that that's necessarily changed, but it may not be something that, that is talked about on a you know on a, I don't want to say lay level, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know. Yeah. Uh, a popular, it's something, popular Yeah, on a popular level. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah sure.
0: Yeah, I, and that was one of the things that I loved about the, the Tomb Raider trailer was that she, she turns the power against him. She claims the power and she, you know, kills her attacker. And then she feels remorse. I mean, it, for, you know, three-minute long video, it was a beautifully fleshed-out character. And I think that that was – and as I said in the the write-up for the post, I think a lot of the fanboys felt – feel guilt about that now because they can't fetishize Laura Croft the same way they could when her pixelated boobs were at 150% of what they should be. <laughs> All of a sudden yeah. she became a real character and that's not, mm. that's not as easy for them to sexualize. So
2: it's not. So tell me, you know, in, in my ignorance, what has been sort of the, the primary response to both of those clips?
0: Well, the the first, as I, I I still have yet to see anybody writing about the Far Cry, uh, the one with the um, the overt sex scene at the beginning of it. Nobody wrote about it, and to that point, uh, I linked on the site to a fan recording of that preview because Ubisoft edited their trailer. <laughs> so Ooh. if you go to their YouTube state YouTube channel and you look at their trailer about 15 seconds into the trailer you'll see about two seconds of that sex scene uh where his hands aren't on her boobs you see her flash um but you don't actually see the the obvious copulation you know moment that is happening in the in the one that i put up on the website and the one that i sent to Rhonda. uh so they edited it out (laughs) well i don't think that's a i I
1: don't think that's a response. No, 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 at no, all.
0: no. I, I know. I mean, it was a stunt for E3, and yeah. and 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 it just you know supports my point that that was the the motivation for why they filmed it yeah. that way. So still nobody's talking about that. However, there there have been a lot of people who are talking about the um the violence that was prevalent in um all of the trailers and especially some of the violence against women because we didn't have a chance to talk about the hitman trailer right with the women nuns who were really assassins who take off their um their robes and they're all like fetished and scantily clad and then the Mm. assassin essentially kills all six of them and um there have been a lot of really good articles talking about how bad that was. <laughs> hmm. So that's been in terms of a, in terms of a positive sort of spin. There there has been some attention brought to the violence against women, to the fact that a lot of the women were were dirty and <laughs> you know oh. and, and grimy yeah. in, in some of the images that were a lot of the images that were displayed, and a lot of the violence was um, over the top and not necessarily as we're talking about you know plot or character driven. So there have been some good things that have that have come out of it. It's more awareness than I than I've seen before to to this issue. So,
2: why do you think that you know the one that, that I that I actually found a lot more shocking and disturbing, and troubling has had no response, whereas the one that <laughs> I missed that there was anything happening <laughs> has water. I mean, I'll, I'll attribute some of that to my naivety, but
0: really, why do you why do you think such a difference? I mean, I, I, wish, I wish I knew. <laughs> I think, you know, there's the line, right, that the difference between, you know, porn and art is the lighting. Uh, you, mm. know, you know, so I think, I think to some degree that that's part of the reason why the Far Cry 3 trailer hasn't gotten the same uh, attention to it. It's, it's not a violent sex scene. It's, it's consensual. Yeah, and 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 it's beautiful. And as a, Ron and I talked about it, it's absolutely stunning. The game looks beautiful. I won't. I won't ever buy it. I won't ever play it. I mean, I didn't know much about the the franchise before you know this trailer. Um, but but I think there's still. If we think about industry. Right, and you you mentioned the the, the sort of change in the, in the industrial revolution and dad going away from home to work. If we think about industry, the game industry is still a relatively young industry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only yeah. I'm going to say on the outside forty years that mm-hmm. they've been producing games. I mean, that's taking in like everything. So yeah. so it's still, and I'm wondering if this is some sort of like protracted adolescence, (laughs) Yes. Oh, finally people are paying attention to games, so let's make them as sensational as we possibly can. And it's accepted that that's part of the culture that's coming out of it. And that's what I want to see change, because if you want to be taken seriously as an art form, this is not how you do that.
2: No, it's not.
0: Well, and don't you think sometimes that,
2: that people who might object... On the basis of this, this was all about marketing and trying to appeal to my the you know lesser angel of my nature to sell to me. Yeah, I don't want to speak up because I don't want to I don't want to be the one saying the emperor isn't wearing any clothes because I'm going to look unsophisticated. Right, and I don't want to look unsophisticated right. or prudish or you know ultra conservative.
0: Absolutely. Or um, if, if it's you know if you're a woman and you're making a stink about it, it it's a different attitude than if a man is yes and there yeah. was um there was actually an art one of the articles about the, the hitman trailer um that that i was reading last night and I, I can't remember any of the details i've read so much stuff i'm in that um you know that 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 overload where you're like oh i know Rush. i saw yeah. <laughs> i know i saw and read that somewhere but <laughs> I don't remember where it was, but there there's a female journalist who I, who um, I know on Twitter, and she had written about the Laura Croft and being really disturbed by by the images in the um, trailer, and and feeling like she wasn't taken particularly seriously by the people who read the article. And then this this male journalist was writing essentially the same thing about the Hitman trailer, and people were taking seriously what he was saying. So there's mm-hmm. there's still that. That, that lingering sense of men are either going to say it better or, or articulate it in a way that, that is going to reach more men, I don't know, or you know that women's opinions on things like this are, need to be or not need to be but, but tend to be less valued because they're going to be more sensitive to things that they okay. don't necessarily need to be sensitive to. So, so I think that that might keep people from talking about it. It could be that, you know, that scene in Far Cry got less press because the hitman was so much worse.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I, I, again, I think that the Laura Croft thing got so much press because it has a much longer history history than Far Cry. I never even heard of Far Cry before. And apparently this is Far Cry 3. Yeah. And when the I saw the video, I was like, "Man, I have never even heard of this game." Right. Laura Croft is—I mean, Somebody I've heard, heard of that game heard of, yeah. since yeah. the beginning of gaming. Yeah.
0: And and, she, and what see. what was funny, as I said, what was funny for me is you know she is, she's kind of a feminist nightmare. I mean, she she was you know when when she in her early versions, like you want so much, you know, to be like, "Oh, look, this is a strong, powerful woman." But then they have her, you know, her body so sexualized that you are like, "Oh God, how can I like?" Yeah cheer for this character that has had very little depth in terms of who the character was and has these, you know, pixelated boobs that are outrageous, you know? And, wow. you know, when they made, when I think if I remember incorrectly, cause I was thinking about, um, uh, the movie versions of this in my dissertation, they, they made, um, Angelina Jolie wear like super padded, uh, bra,
1: Oh, when goodness. she played
0: it in the movie, so that she had that sort of super look, and then in the second movie she didn't wear it, and she was like, "What happened to your boobs?" She's like, "Well, these are mine," you know. <laughs> you go, Angelina. <laughs> Seriously, you know that's you know. So, so she's she's always been a, a, a difficult character for me to embrace, and I'm thankful that there are that she there was at least one you know powerful female avatar out there in you know the early stages of gaming. I never thought I'd be coming to her defense and saying, you know, that trailer shows, you know, she still grunts and she still makes sounds that I I would personally rather not have be part of <laughs> my gaming experience. That's a longstanding tradition of gaming of uh, Tomb Raider gaming as well, though. Um, so she still does that, and I would I wouldn't wouldn't mind if they they tone that down a little bit. But she was a full-flesh character. You felt empathy. You saw how she felt, and you could experience her emotions. And that's the best of what gaming has to offer, period.
1: Well, I I really hate to
0: (laughs) start wrapping up our
1: conversation. We may have to... We have, may have to meet on a regular basis. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> this has been a fantastic fun. discussion. This has been really yeah. fun.
1: Yeah, um, it has been
2: great. And Regina, you've got a great voice. Thank you. I mean, I've always told Rhonda that. She does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: that has been the most consistent piece of feedback I've gotten from this podcast. Who knew? Yeah. I mean, I had no idea. So. Good boy. <laughs> well, do you have any closing
1: comments or questions or anything for us, Sandy? um i I think
2: that our whole conversation just points to the need, even though it's an often a boring way to start to to constantly be conscious of defining labels mm-hmm. uh, because I think when we when we acknowledge that we are using labels like masculine or feminine or you know any any sort of gendered language or hardcore or casual. Right. Anytime we stop and actually look at the words we're using and try to define them, it is a helpful process in helping us see ourselves and the different stereotypes we're allowing, the different presuppositions that we come with, Mm -hmm. the different assumptions that we bring. And I think it it helps us understand ourselves better and it helps us be more just.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it helps us have more empathy with how we label the people that we interact with. And be more yeah. careful about that. So I think I think you're right. I think these are great conversations to be having. So, well, thanks, Sandy. We really appreciate you taking time to chat with
1: us. You're a busy lady. So oh, that was like very fun. Here. Just one thing, Rhonda. In the in the in the middle,
2: you said we're talking with Sandra Guan and you said that I go to the University of Texas. At uh, I'm sorry, you said we, I go to University of Dallas, and I go to the University of Texas at Dallas. The University yes. of Dallas is a wonderful Catholic school. <laughs> oh, so, sorry. Kind of no, I just. No, I need to apologize. I just didn't want that to go out. Definitely. So, uh,
0: Sandy, if our listeners uh, want to get uh, more information on the research that you're doing or maybe talk with you, do you have uh, your Twitter information and websites that we can refer them to?
2: Sure. Twitter is Sandra Glahn, S-A-N-D-R-A-G-L-A-H-N. Uh, all, all run together. My website is aspire2.com. It's A-S-P-I-R-E on the number 2 not the word T-W-O-T-O or T-O-O, but the number two,
0: aspire2.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure.
1: And, We'd uh, love for our listeners to chime in on what we've talked about today and continue the conversation, which obviously is very, very rich. Um, you can send your feedback to us through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl at our website at gameongirl.com. Or you can email why do you Regina say at GameOnGirl.com.
0: This is Game On Girl. I'm Regina, and I'm here with my co-host, Rhonda. Our Cyber Mailbag is the social network we have through Twitter and Facebook. You can always Twitter me at DocLiz, and you can uh, like us on our Facebook page, um, Game on Girl Podcast on Facebook. And this week we asked Gamers, how important is your avatar's name to you? Does it impact how you see your character and how you play your tune?
1: Well, if avatar visuals were important, it seems that naming them is just as important.
0: <laughs> seems everybody um, pays attention to all the details. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. If you, if you pay attention to one, it, it all has meaning. Ali F. And Kara at Ali Kara said, It's important. My avatar is a reflection of myself, fused with a spark of my creativity. It has to bear some purpose. She does things that are intangible in real life or is opposite of my true character. Kofi Jamal Simmons at Kofi Jamal said, If up to me, it's very important. In a game where my actions matter, I'm playing a character. His or her name matters. I try to get an image of the character and find names that fit how I'll play. A scholar type may have an intellectual name. An action character will have something more forceful. My dark elf in Skyrim is Oginson. He has no qualms with fighting <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and oguson that's a gr- that's a great name that, I mean, that is a great name <laughs> yeah.
0: a lot of character and a lot of personality in a very short span of time <laughs>
1: and he does mention the same thing about image, about mm-hmm. visuals the the yeah. image of the character requires a certain name right and i've I've seen this a lot usually what I see is the juxtaposition mm-hmm. i'll see uh a barbarian that's named Daisy, right. and it's obvious that it's 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 a pun, right. but at the same time, it's it's a reflection of the player's personality, and it's
0: it's very amusing. Exactly. Well, that was one of the things I really liked about Kofi's comment there about matching the name to what the character looked like, um, or or even and then taking that a step further, perhaps as you said, you know, with the kind of character. They are what kind of fighting they're doing, and, and this and you know that kind of uh, considerations to make. Um, I think Allie's uh, comments are are really telling as well. Um, very much a self-gamer here. Yes. (laughs) I can identify with that. Yes, yes. And I love the the phrasing she has about a reflection of herself fused with a spark of my creativity. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the best of what self-gaming has to offer. And uh, best of what gaming has to offer all our gamer types. Yeah. But I I think that, you know, sort of being able to go into the game and take some of who you are and then mix it with a little bit of, you know, fire-wielding warlocks or whatever else you might be playing that aren't things you can actually do in your real life, but you can do in the game, I think, is, is where a good amount of the power comes from. For, yeah, a healthy amount of power, mm-hmm. being able to to experiment with some things in
1: a, in a healthy way.
0: Exactly, exactly. And to be able to experiment and see, you know, what you're like or what this might be like and, you know, and learn more about yourself, which is, as, as we've continued to come back to, is really the... The big thing that we're, you know, we're noticing about gaming is how much people can learn about who they are through through gaming.
1: Well, we also heard from Red Firefly at VietGal 2002. She said, mine is very important because people associate the gamer tag to me. And people have actually found me in other games because of it. Eric Oberlin reflected this also when he wrote on Facebook I spend a significant amount of time thinking about names. The name of my main is super important to me. It's the name you end up being called in guild or when raiding. The name of my alts doesn't matter because I see them as support characters for my main. And I, see, I, I feel the same way. I, I do the exact same thing. In fact, the, my main name is, is so important to me, I've never actually landed on one name because I'm never happy
0: with it. <laughs> You're never fully satisfied with what you come up from that. <laughs>
1: no, well, it's one of the sad things where I want something unique, and there just isn't anything new under the sun. Right. You
0: know? <laughs> well, that was, and one of the observations that Eric makes here about you know how that's what you're called when you're raiding and in your guild, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it before when I when I made Sunny Sunny B and I started playing her in in a guild where I di- I didn't know you know the people i was playing with in real life i I, you know was truly a a guild i just found in world of warcraft and new friends i made through gaming and they start and everybody called me sunny and and they still call me sunny one of one of my um one of the people i gamed with is on my facebook and for my birthday she's like happy birthday sunny (laughs) oh and so it's really sweet so that does sort of even you know mesh with who you are and and your identity and and i didn't even really think that you know i didn't think about it before that it was only after the fact and i'm like oh that's really kind of sweet i like being called sunny
1: (laughs) yeah so you you new players out there you think about that gamer name (laughs)
0: yeah seriously you know think about think about what it is that you're you know and the identity you're creating and red firefly says that as well you know that it has been a way for her to maintain her gaming community having that name that people find her in other places because she uses the same name in, in, yeah. in multiple places, she gets to continue playing and continue to build her community that way. So, I, I, you know, I feel like this question is a little Rumpelstiltskin-esque, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Names are very important, and apparently that, that doesn't change for people in their gaming as well.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, where some of the names come from, because mm-hmm. um, Adrian Hunter responded, he's at the Meaner Geek. He said, I have exactly one name and variations on it for every game, Antioch, Antioch, Antiochus, Antiochian. Antioch was a very important city in the ancient world, and I'm a huge history buff.
0: Right. So we have a little bit of self-gamer going on there as well, where, you know, his interest in, in history is mapping over into the names of the characters. Yeah, but
1: it's still to me it's still an application of the creativity. Mm, I mean, absolutely. he's expressing his interest in the game with uh the way that he names his mm-hmm. characters and yeah.
0: uh it it reflects him. Right, right, exactly. And it and it gives a a, a quick and easily uh, surmised picture (laughs) yeah and i love that i love Mm -hmm. knowing what
1: it is behind it usually when i see someone's avatar name i just i'm dying to know where it came from (laughs) My, my husband comes up with the most unusual avatar names and i'm like where did you get that but he's the same way he's extremely well read and he loves history right and so he's, he's, he's got a, a wonderful resource for all of that.
0: Right, exactly. Well, and I've, I found in the recent past, I've started naming my characters after some of my, my female uh, pop culture heroes, or heroines. Um, so my, my demon hunter in Diablo 3 is Buffy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a cliche, but, you know, she's a demon hunter. It seemed appropriate yeah. to call her Buffy. And uh, and I named, I think I mentioned this in the episode when we were talking about avatars, I named my barbarian in Diablo 3, Brienne after Brienne of Tarth, and, um, oh God, Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I have a little bit of that going on, and um, I, uh, if anybody's a fan of Stargate, um, I named oh not Stargate, um, uh, Farscape. Sorry, Farscape. I named one of my avatars in DDO after Aaron's son from uh, Farscape. So, all my I, I have sort of all of my female heroes. I get to I get to sort of embody them a little bit that way. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, in the same way here because um, I'll never forget the first time that I read. The Return of the King mm-hmm. by J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Eowyn was an absolute yes. wonderful surprise mm-hmm. to me
0: Yeah,
1: in that story. And so some of my first RPG characters, were, or their names were based off of Eowyn. They right. were something when or Eowas something. Right, what, uh, right. Sort of personalized that. And then I've, I've got some pop culture and other fictional characters like... Lilith from Borderlands Mm -hmm. and Alice from Resident Evil and Amy Lee believe it or not the lead singer for Evanescence (laughs) I'll never forget the first time I saw her and I was I I loved the music and I saw her and I was like I love that look Mm -hmm. that's a great look and um, another female singer Joan Jett right And so, sometimes I'll mix that up. There'll be characters named Amy Jett or Joan Lee or something like that.
0: Right. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Well, we really love hearing about this stuff. So, we ask a new question almost every day. We really love to hear your opinion. And if you share it with us, we may share it on our next episode. You can follow us on Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl. And to follow the conversations there, we're going to use hashtag GOG chat. And you can friend us on Game on Girl podcast on Facebook. You've been listening to Game on Girl. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Rowroom. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. You can also follow my tech blog
0: at DroolOnTheFrog.com. Con- drool com. <laughs> And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, and you can follow me on Twitter at DocLiz with two Zs. And many, many thanks to Sandy for joining us and providing such a fantastic conversation with her for today's episode. You can follow her on Twitter at Sandra Glahn, S-A-N-D-R-A-G-L-A-H-N. I'll have a link to her Twitter on the page on the website. And find out more information about all of her other work and all the exciting things that she does at aspire2, that's Aspire2.blogspot.com. Two. That's Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with the references made in the show, can be found on our website, gameongirl.com. You can also leave comments through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or email us at regina at game dot com. In the next episode, we'll interview gamers Toria and Melissa and discuss the differences between casual and hardcore gamers. This podcast is recorded with audacity and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening. And until next time, game on.